Welcome to Real Estate Pro Tips and Strategies. The theme is how to buy a home or sell a home in a changing real estate market. Hi, my name is Pete Sabine and I'm here with my team partner, Leslie Whitney. We are real estate professionals with Compass and the five-star real estate team here in the San Francisco Bay Area. We want to share with you our real estate expertise to give you a competitive edge and provide insight with useful information so you can make an informed decision for your next home purchase. Leslie and I break down the most important aspects of real estate. Future podcasts will reveal how to navigate as a home buyer or seller. Let's begin our podcast. Hello and welcome to this episode of Real Estate Pro Tips and Strategies. Today our topic is the pros and cons of owning a home within a homeowners association, also known as HOAs. There are so many decisions to make when buying a home. One of the biggest important ones is what type of home do you want to buy? If you're not interested in a detached single family home, you're likely going to buy a condo or a townhouse. And most of these are governed by a homeowners association or HOA. So Pete, how many HOAs are there in the US? Do you know this? I do, in fact. (laughs) There are over 350,000 HOAs operating as of 2020. Over 40 million households are within an HOA. 53% of Americans live in an HOA community. 8,000 new HOAs per year are established. And Florida and California have the most HOAs in the country. Wow, interesting facts. Um, When did HOAs become popular? Have they been around a long time? Uh, About 50 years or more. Uh, Really, it started with the advent of the condominium housing that became popular in the 1960s, and along with that, something known as a planned unit development. Uh, Both of those started to become popular and more prevalent about 40 or 50 years ago. What is the purpose of an HOA? Well, the governing body or the board of directors of the HOA is responsible for the management of all aspects of the association. The board may delegate management of certain activities to other persons or businesses, such as a property management service, but it must retain ultimate control of the HOA. As a board member, you're going to want to carefully review and understand all the HOA's governing documents, as well as financial statements, the insurance policy coverage, and the schedule of property maintenance. Over 70% of HOA's are managed by property owners who volunteer to participate. And how is an HOA organized? HOAs are created under and regulated by state law. The HOA's governing documents includes bylaws, articles of incorporation, covenants, conditions, and restrictions, more commonly known as CCNRs, and the day-to-day operating rules. And how does an HOA operate? The governing structure of an HOA has many responsibilities from maintenance to enforcement to attending regular meetings. This is typically in the form of the board of directors. Sometimes the HOA's board will hire a manager, sometimes referred to as a property manager or a community manager to assist with these responsibilities. And these responsibilities may be broad in scope or the manager's responsibilities might be limited to only a few tasks. So some of the board's powers and duties include 
enforcing provisions of the CCNRs, the Articles of Incorporations and Bylaws for the ownership and management of the development, paying property taxes and assessments that are or could be a lien on the common areas, contracting for insurance on behalf of the association, contracting for goods and services for the common areas, such as landscaping, painting, maintenance, and then delegating powers to any committees, officers, or employees of the HOA as authorized by the governing documents. Along with that, they're also charged with preparing budgets and financial statements for the association, formulating the rules of operation for the common areas and facilities, and conducting disciplinary hearings against members of the HOA for rule violations. If someone moves into a community with an HOA, do they have to join it? The answer is yes. You automatically become an HOA member upon your ownership of a property within the HOA. What if you refuse to play by the HOA rules? They won't let you swim in the swimming pool for 30 days. No. Uh, <laughs> if you own a property in a neighborhood that has an HOA and you do not follow the CCNRs, you could face fines, a lawsuit, or even a foreclosure of your property. If you violate the CCNRs, you know, as an example, if you paint your mailbox an unapproved color, you'll probably get a few notices telling you to repaint the mailbox the right color. If you do not comply and change the paint color, the HOA might take uh, one of the following steps. They could assess a fine against you accruing daily until you fix the problem. They can actually enter your property to correct the issue, then charge you for the cost of compliance, and or they can suspend your privileges to use the common area facilities like the pool, the gym, etc. until you take care of the matter. If you don't correct the problem or the HOA doesn't fix it for you, the HOA might file a lawsuit asking the court to order you to paint the mailbox. The HOA also might ask the court for a money judgment against you for any unpaid fines. Once a court issues a money judgment in favor of the HOA, the HOA can usually take money from your bank account or garnish your wages to collect the amount owed. It can also place a lien on your home and possibly foreclose upon the title. Wow, that sounds serious. There's a lot to think about. Um, and how much does it cost to be in an HOA? You know, when you purchase the property, you're going to be informed of the current monthly fee during the process of the sale. That's a requirement of selling the property. The seller must disclose that fee to you. These fees can be raised over the years. Just because the fee is, say, $200 a month now does not mean that it's fixed forever. And assuming the HOA acts in accordance with its bylaws and other rules and regulations, it can raise the fees as it sees fit to cover the reserves and uh, maintenance budget. There can also be what's known as a special assessment in addition to the monthly HOA fee. That special assessment is typically used to deal with unforeseen or urgent needs that are not covered by the reserve funds from collecting the monthly HOA fees. And when the monthly fees reach a point that they burden the current homeowners and discourage potential buyers, homeowners sometimes challenge these HOA fees and assessments with a court proceeding. What is the purpose of the HOA monthly fees? 
So the monthly fees are intended to pay for the repair, maintenance, and upkeep of all the areas of the property that are owned collectively rather than individually. The HO fee can cover things like utility bills, such as shared electricity, water, landscaping, street lighting, snow removal, maintenance or repairs to hallways, roofs, walkways, as well as common facility or community facilities like the clubhouse, the swimming pool, and exercise rooms. The HOA fees can also cover hazard insurance and the salaries of HOA employees or any independent contractors such as an outside property management company. The cost of the HOA fee depends partly on how new, large, and luxurious the community facilities are. So as an example, a new single building uh, containing several condos and no amenities will typically charge lower fees than a large but older building with a lot of amenities like a golf course, lake, roads, private roads, parking, security, and other services to homeowners. So the newer the complex or condo, typically the lower the fees. As properties get older, they have to raise those fees to plan for things wearing out, like roofs and siding and windows and things of that nature. So the way it works is the HOA board of directors will typically establish a budget, and then they divide the total expenses by the number of homes in the community to set the monthly dues amount. Sometimes, though, if the properties are of different size, the monthly payments may vary based on the square footage or some other differential measurement. And also, don't expect your fees to be reduced on uh, the amount of services that you don't use. In other words, if you never swim in the pool or work out in the community gym, you're going to be expected to pay your full HOA fee. Just because you're not using the facilities or the services does not absolve you of paying your fair share. So each homeowner is expected to make a monthly or other fixed payments throughout the year and can face penalties or even foreclosure for non-payment. Some HOAs have quarterly fees instead of monthly fees and in some cases might even have a one-time annual fee each year. Those are typically smaller HOAs or planned unit developments. And then... Um, an HOA collects regular and special assessments from each household or unit in the community as well. So if you don't pay the assessments, the HOA will probably charge fees and interest on those unpaid amounts. And the HOA also might prohibit you from using any common area uh, facilities until you catch up on those back payments. And once again, the HOA could also sue you for a money judgment if you fail to pay the special assessment. How can someone get more involved in their HOA if they choose to do so? Well, becoming a board member is really a very serious commitment, and it's basically unpaid time and effort. So you have to be willing to go all in, and some things you might want to understand about being involved as a board member. So each member of the board of directors of an HOA, uh, typically they're, the HOA is organized as a nonprofit organization and each member must perform their duties in good faith in a manner that's in the best interest of the corporation and with the care that a reasonable person would use under these circumstances. HOA directors may not make decisions that benefit their own interest rather than those of the collective membership. Also, an HOA board member is entitled to rely on the advice of other people, other officers, professional people, 
committees, but they can't simply take a step back from a supervisory role and let things run on their own. They have to be actively involved. One other critical thing to understand about being a board member is that uh, the consequences of failing to fulfill the duties can include personal financial responsibility. So becoming a board member is not to be taken lightly. How can the presence of an HOA impact a real estate transaction for the buyer? That's a really great question because it does have an impact on a real estate transaction. The first thing to understand when you're buying a property within an HOA is that the seller is required to provide all the disclosures related to the HOA. And these documents are made available to a buyer during the sale transaction. And most purchase agreements have a contingency for the buyer to approve of the disclosure documents. Also, if you need a home loan to purchase your condo or your home that's in an HOA, your lender needs to add the, month, the monthly HOA fee into your debt-to-income ratio for qualifying purposes. So what does, that, what does that mean? So typically when you're applying for a loan, your debt-to-income ratio is calculated by your monthly payment for the loan, which includes principal, interest, and then on top of that, property taxes and homeowners insurance. When you're buying inside an HOA, they're going to add the monthly HOA fee to that calculation as well. So it does impact your ability to qualify for a loan. Okay, that's important to remember. Has a buyer you ever worked with been scared off by an HOA? Uh, yes, that's not altogether uncommon, um, especially when the monthly HOA fee is a lot higher than the average fee of competing condos for sale or if there's a substantial special assessment that has to be assumed or absorbed by the new buyer. Another turnoff is any pending litigation, litigation that might impede the ability of bank financing to purchase or refinance the property. So in other words, if there's a lawsuit that's pending with the HOA, uh, typically a bank is not willing to lend until that lawsuit has been settled. So that's a key thing to understand when you're in the, in the middle of a transaction is to make sure that there's no pending litigation that could affect your ability to get the financing you need. So I'm sure you were going to talk about this, but how and, and how and when does the buyer get that information? When they're looking around for homes, is that something that they can find easily as far as the... Um, the condition of the HOA and, and the, the fees and how much it is? So the how and when part of it is pretty standard. The purchase agreements typically have a provision related to a property within an HOA, and it requires a specific amount of time, a specified amount of time for the seller to deliver the documents to the buyer. And then the buyer typically has a specified amount of time from their receipt to read, review, and respond and approve or disapprove of those documents as a contingency of going forward with the sale. Right. And oftentimes that information is in the disclosure so the buyer can decide if they want to even purchase That's right. Place. Yeah. It's required by law to disclose any pending litigation, any special assessments, any proposed um, dues increases, monthly HOA dues increases. And there's one tip that you really want to focus in on when you're reviewing this stack of documents that is going to be provided to you by the seller. 
you want to look at the monthly or the, they may not be monthly, but you want to focus on the board of directors meeting minutes. By law, the seller must provide the previous 12 months meeting minutes to you for your review. And in those minutes are going to be conversations about what's coming up in the future. So none of these discussions may actually have been confirmed as made part of the new budget, bylaws, rules, whatever, but it's in the discussion mode. And if they're talking about it, there's a high probability that it's going to become part of the program at some point. So take a look at those minutes and look for things in there, the clues that there might be a forthcoming special assessment or a dues increase or some type of proposed or potential litigation that might be coming down the road. One of the things that is mentioned is owner-occupancy ratio. Why is that important? The owner-occupancy ratio is pretty straightforward. So it's essentially the number of rented units versus the number of owner-occupied dwellings within the total number of dwellings inside an HOA. So as an example, if there are a total of 100 dwellings in an HOA community and 70% are occupied by the owners, the owner-occupancy ratio is 70%. Why is that number important? Because typically when the owner-occupancy ratio falls below 50 or 60%, it can be really difficult to get bank financing. Typically, lenders do not like to make loans in communities with less than a 50% owner-occupancy ratio. A low ratio can also trigger what's known as a rental restriction. And that rental restriction will preclude the property owner from renting their property until that ratio exceeds the minimum requirement. So as an example, let's say the owner-occupancy ratio today is 70%. And uh, 10 more units sell to investors, and now that ratio is down to 49%. Some HOAs have a trigger that if it drops below a certain percentage, in this case, let's say 50%, that they now have a moratorium on anybody renting their property out until that number goes above that minimum requirement. So if you have plans to rent your property out uh, at some point when you own it, or from the outset, after you buy it, you, you have to make sure that there aren't any rental restriction issues. Yeah, that's definitely important. The other thing I find is important sometimes to point out for buyers is any pet restrictions. It could be the number of pets. It could be the type of pet. It could be cats versus dogs, things like that. I've even seen buyers taking note that there's no barbecues allowed on the decks, things like that, which sometimes oddly enough, can be a deal breaker because somebody really wants to barbecue. It could be a deal breaker because what you need to remember when you're buying inside an HOA is you're actually buying into a relationship with all of your neighbors. And it's really important to understand what it's going to be like, be lived like to live there dynamically. What are the restrictions about what you can or can't do? Some HOAs are very strict. You can't leave your garage door open for more than 10 minutes or you could get a fine or you can't park your car on your own driveway or you get a ticket. You know, it can be that mm -hmm. restrictive. And some people coming out of a, a home where there are no restrictions at all because it's not in an HOA, that can be a hard thing to adapt to. You know, we did have that sale transaction a couple of years ago with the condominium where 
the buyer who is very, very interested in buying that property discovered that you couldn't have more than one pet and they had three and those pets were like children to them. Mm -hmm. They were not willing to give up two of the three kids, so to speak, to buy that property. So fortunately, we found out that that was an issue before we took the house off the market and accepted an offer from them because it would have just come back on the market. Or worse, if they didn't find out, it would have closed escrow and then the, you know, we right. would have had a big problem. So understanding the rules and regulations along with understanding the budget and the HOA fees, super critical when you're analyzing whether or not you want to buy that property. Yeah, it's important to read all the documents, even though they might seem dry and unimportant. There's some um, important things inside those. Um, what, what else should a buyer consider before completing the purchase transaction of a property in an HOA? Is there anything else that yeah. needs to be thought of? Really, there's the documents can be quite extensive depending on the size of the HOA and how complicated and layered they've made their um, operating guidelines. So one best practice would be to hire a professional to review and analyze the HOA documents before approving your contingency in the purchase agreement. So one option would be to find a real estate lawyer or a CPA with experience in this area who can evaluate whether the fees and assessments are reasonable and that reflect an HOA that is financially sound. If the HOA fees are reasonable on their face, but half the owners are not paying them, then the HOA is potentially facing bankruptcy. And that's something you'd want to know about. Mm -hmm. The other thing to look for is if the fees are likely to go up soon because the HOA has failed to set aside any financial reserves and has been putting off too much needed uh, deferred maintenance. You'd want to find that out as well. Special assessments are often required to pay for these unforeseen and urgent repairs, and they can be quite costly. You also want to find out if the condo complex is approved for FHA or VA financing. Why is that important? Because FHA and VA have their own specific overlays about where they're willing to lend if it's controlled by an HOA. And if that complex is not approved, you might not be able to get that loan. I, I, a few years ago, I had a deal fall through just because the HOA did not have enough reserves um, and the lender would not approve the loan. And it was frustrating because in that case, there's nothing that can be done. It wasn't anything that we could have seen ahead of time. And so it was really disappointing. Um, yeah. You know what I've found over the years is that typically the small HOAs where there's say less than. 25 or 30 properties within an HOA, they tend to be run by the homeowners. They're not professionals, they're amateurs. And they don't know what they don't know, essentially. And those HOAs tend to be problematical. The ones that are larger and professionally managed by companies that are completely familiar with all the state and local requirements for running the HOA and the complex and budgets and bylaws and all those things, those tend to be more solid state. So if you're looking at an HOA that's privately run by homeowners, you know, you take extra precautions to make sure everything's buttoned up and there aren't any surprises waiting for you. Yeah. Um, so what are some key questions um, for legal counsel? Okay. 
So one would be, is the HOA community that you're considering buying into financially sound and charging reasonable fees? That would be number one. Number two, do you see any language in the governing documents of this HOA that should worry me or regarding any future changes in fee amounts or your ability to challenge those fee increases? The other question would be, has this HOA set aside sufficient financial reserves to deal with emergency expenses without passing it on to owners in the form of a special assessment? So one thing that can be somewhat of a false economy when you're out shopping for a condo or a property within an HOA is that you find one that has remarkably low HOA dues compared to other properties where the average might be several hundred dollars a month higher. That's very enticing to buy into uh, an, a low-fee HOA. The problem with that could be that those fees aren't high enough to fund their reserve account, that they're just barely covering expenses with that low fee, and they're not, they don't have an overage to set aside down the road for big-ticket repair items. So don't get lured into the trap of buying into an HOA that's underfunding their financial reserves because it will come back in the future in the form of a large, expensive special assessment. The other question I would ask is, what can I do about a special assessment that is too high or for a project that you might believe is extravagant, unnecessary, or maybe it's a pet project of one of the few HOA board members? You know, what are, what, what are your rights and recourse? Uh, pending litigation, once again, you know, want to make sure there's no skeletons in the closet waiting to jump up and create a problem. Does the HOA carry enough insurance? And what does it cover? That's another important one. The thing to understand about condominiums, especially ones that are true condominiums where you basically only own the space inside the building, you don't control or own anything outside of it, you need to know where the breakoff point is from the HOA insurance coverage and what your specific homeowner's insurance coverage will cover. Usually it stops and starts at the walls and the, the framework of the dwelling. So usually everything outside the walls is the HOA and everything inside the wall needs to be insured by your insurance carrier. Okay. So I, we talked about which type of buildings have HOAs or which type of homes, and obviously it's condos and townhouses, but oftentimes it's single family neighborhoods. What kind of neighborhoods are these that have an HOA? Well, the, the common name for a single-family home neighborhood, meaning these are houses that are not attached to one another, that would be known as a planned unit development, or more commonly known as a PUD. So there's a lot of similarities to detached homes that are controlled by an HOA in a planned unit development to a condominium or a townhome that's controlled under an HOA. So some of the common features of a planned unit development are shared private streets, greenbelt landscaping, shared community amenities such as a swimming pool, clubhouse, tennis courts, security gates. So there's some parallels to what most people think of as, you know, a condominium and an HOA to a single family detached home in a planned unit development that also is controlled by an HOA. And what is the difference between a condo and a townhouse? Well, think of a condominium of being like an apartment. 
in that it's an individual unit residing in a building or a community of buildings. But unlike an apartment, the condo is owned by its resident and it's not rented from a landlord. A townhouse is an attached home that's also owned by its resident. So one or more walls are shared with an adjacent attached townhome. So think of a townhouse as a style of condominium, but it can also be a type of ownership difference too. So townhomes typically are uh, one or two stories. You get a little more privacy than you would get in an apartment style condominium. You'll find many townhouses in some cases have their own balcony decks and backyards and garages and things like that. You'll also find condos and townhouses in urban areas, rural areas, and the suburbs. They can both be one story or multiple stories, but the biggest difference between the two comes down to the type of ownership and the related fees. So what you own and how much you pay for it are really at the heart of the condo versus townhouse distinction. When you purchase a condo, you personally own your individual unit and you share joint ownership of the building with the other owner tenants. If that joint ownership or that joint ownership includes not just the building structure itself, but its common areas, the gym, the pool, the grounds, as well as the airspace within the condo. The townhouse ownership is more in line with the ownership of a detached single family home. You personally own the structure and the land it sits on. And that's the difference. The difference is that the structure will also share walls with another structure. So if you, if you wanna confirm whether it's a condo or a townhouse, if you actually are paying tax on the land, the lot, then you own a townhouse. If there is no tax on the land or the lot, you own a condo. So you can live in a structure that resembles a townhouse, but it's a condo <laughs> with your own ownership rights. I know it's confusing, but condo and townhouse have been, uh, the term of that has kind of been diluted. It's kind of like um, tissue paper and Kleenex. So I hear people all the time saying, hey, I just bought a condo or I just bought a townhouse. Well, really, well, no, what yeah. is it that you really bought? Yeah. So. True. And I, I think sometimes in, in rare occasions, the, the listing might even be labeled wrong. So regardless of whether it's a townhouse, a condo or a detached single family home in a planned unit development, all three of those could be under the control of an HOA. Right. How does the cost of ownership compare with homes not within an HOA? There's a couple of ways to look at this. So, you know, even with monthly HOA fees, owning a condo or a townhouse typically tends to be more affordable than owning a single family home that does not have an HOA controlling it. And why is that? Because what you're doing is you're sharing in the cost in a fractional way with all the other property owners. So that new roof or the new paint job or the new landscaping or repaving the driveway is shared with 100 people instead of just you. And the cost to make those repairs, you are saving. You're, if they're running the financials correctly, where the monthly fee that they collect from you is sufficient to provide the reserve account funding to cover the cost down the road, 
it's a forced savings account. So think of it in those terms. If you're paying $300 a month for an HOA fee, you are taking a portion of that money to cover recurring ongoing expenses like landscaping and the water bill. But a portion of that is going into a bank account, a savings account, which are the reserves to cover the big ticket items down the road. So with most homeowners who are doing this on their own, a lot of folks are just barely making their payments. They're not setting any money aside for future repairs. They're not budgeting for that. And when it's time to put a new roof on the house, they don't have the fifteen dollars or $20,000 available. Then they have to go into debt and borrow money if they can to put the roof on. In most cases, the cost of ownership is lower with properties under an HOA because of that dynamic than doing it self-managed on your own. Okay. And what about the resale value? How does it affect that? That depends on where you are. There was a time in suburbia where condominiums didn't go up much in value at all. They weren't in favor. Most, most of the time when people move from the city to the suburbs, what is it that they're looking for? Space, land, autonomy, privacy, big lots, room to spread out. So why would you move from the city and buy an apartment-style condo? Why don't you just stay in the city? So it wasn't until about 15 or 20 years ago that condominiums rarely went up at all. They weren't that great of an investment. It really was basically an inexpensive way to not be renting anymore and to enjoy ownership of your property and the tax breaks that go with that. But things have changed in the suburbs. There's, you know, kind of a a movement towards um, being able to walk to places, walk to downtown. And typically high-density condos and townhomes are constructed and located within the downtown areas. And that's a hip thing now. And so the resale values of condos and townhomes are doing quite well because of that shift, even in the suburbs. In an urban area, condos and townhomes tend to appreciate at the same rate as single-family homes because it's all kind of high density in the city anyway. All right. Lots of good, good information about HOAs. Anything else to add? I think we've covered a lot. You know, I think we have covered a lot, and I hope I didn't confuse anybody with those answers. Buying a property within an HOA can be a great thing. You just have to be acutely aware of what it is that you are agreeing to sign up for when you're buying that specific property. It's literally a marriage with your neighbors and the people that are running the financials in that, that building. Right. It also is a lifestyle and not everybody is well suited for that lifestyle. So you really have to anchor in and make sure that you're okay being playing by the rules. Uh, there are some folks that just don't want to be ruled and don't want that kind of control in their personal lives. Mm -hmm. So if you're one of those, you're probably not going to fit in very well. You're probably going to be somewhat uncomfortable being under the control of the HOA. Right. Good point. And I think unless you've experienced being in an HOA, most buyers don't really understand what it means and what it entails. So it's good to know ahead of time and be prepared. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Real Estate Pro Tips and Strategies. I'm Leslie Whitney, and I'm with Pete Sabine. We are the five-star real estate team, and we know how to set the stage for your success. Call us to win with us, 925-297-5335. Discover more real estate pro tips 
find our podcast at five star real estate team.podbean.com. See you next time. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. We hope you enjoy our real estate pro tips and strategies, and we encourage you to share our podcast with anyone you know who is looking to buy or sell a home. Be sure to like and subscribe. And if you're watching on YouTube, feel free to ring the bell next to the subscribe button so you won't miss a single episode. Thank you to our producer, Sam Lubman, with Painless Podcasts for making this podcast happen. I'm Leslie Whitney with Pete Sabine, and we are the Five Star Real Estate Team. Join us for our next episode of Real Estate Pro Tips and Strategies. Call or text 925-297-5335 to reach us with your questions and referrals, or send an email to info at 5starrealestatepro.com.